Good morning, everybody. So good to see everybody here. Today, we are actually going to start a new series, and uh, we are calling it Fearless. Fearless. We deal with a lot of fears. I mean, I would venture to say every single one of us at some point in our life has had a fear that has gripped our heart, gripped our mind, stifled us, hindered us, maybe even uh, held us back in some direction within our life. And so fears can get in the way. We're going to talk in this series about the fear of rejection. We're going to talk about the fear of failure. We're going to talk about the fear of intimacy and the fear of not having enough. That's kind of where we're headed in this particular series, but I wanted to start by sharing a verse that is going to be the verse that kind of sustains us through the, through the series. It's one that's very easy to memorize. Some of you may already have it memorized, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We'll put it up on the screen, uh, so this will be your first look at it uh, to memorize it during... I want, I'll quiz you at the end of the service, Okay. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's what God wants to give us today. And that's what I want to receive today in my own heart, my own spirit. I don't want to be paralyzed by fear. I don't want to come to wrong conclusions because of fear. I don't want fear to control me. I don't want it to influence direction and decisions and relationships. I want God's power, God's love, and a sound mind to control the way I think and act. Hey, did I ever tell you about my bat story? I've told you a couple bird stories. Bats are kind of just like birds, but they're demon-possessed with rats in the middle. <laughs> they're real similar, real similar. But uh, I, I came home, this is a true story, a couple couple. Uh, Summers ago, came home, and I saw this bat, like, right on the back window of our slider, our sliding glass door, and there was a bat there. And I was freaked out and did everything I could to try and make the bat go away. That's actually not the bat. You can take that one down. <laughs> but it, w- it was a slightly smaller bat, and... and uh, and I beat on the door. I did everything because they're just, I, for me, I know some of you are bat lovers and stuff, but for me, they're just kind of repulsive. And so its little tiny furry belly was paint, pointed into the, where I eat and I sit down and stuff. And so I was beating on the window, and I finally got it to leave. After about an hour, it flew away. And uh, I don't know, they must live up in the rocks or something. So six months later, Tisa and I are out of town. And we... <laughs> We were traveling back all day long. We come home. It's like 9 or 10 at night. It's dark. And I open up the drapes to turn off the porch light, and there was that bat, the one that we showed you. Bat was back, but it was bigger. I don't know why. It's probably sucking blood somewhere. But, but, it, but it freaked us out. We open up the drape, and we're like, ah, bat! I shut the drape as fast as I can. And it's like, ah, can't believe I got to deal with this now. After com- We have found snakes before in our garage. We've found different things when we've come home from vacation. And so I'm thinking, what do we do? What do we do? We're panicking. We're, we're wanting to vomit. We both literally got really nauseous and stuff. And, and we're just, it's just sick. It's gross. And so we thought, let's just go to bed. We'll deal with it in the morning. It's night. Maybe it'll fly away. We'll wake up in the morning and it'll be gone. I wake up at 6 a.m. 6 a. I dreamed all night about weird stuff. 
And I, I come down, and I go to the drape, and I'm just, oh, God, please let it be gone. I open it up, and there it is. It's still staring at me. So I just Google it online. I'm like, how do you get rid of a bat? And I Google it, and I find out, well, they're sensitive to high-pitched noises. And so I get some pots and pans, and I start beating them over by the window, doing everything I can. Tisa comes down, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to get rid of the bat. And then I thought, well, maybe music, high-pitched music, turn up the treble. I found this song called Bat Out of Hell. I put it on, <laughs> and I put the speakers right up to the window, and I cranked it up on 10. And it's just like screaming, meatloaf is screaming at it, you know? And that didn't leave, just stayed there. <laughs> Tisa's like, you know you're going to have to buy me a whole new door. That bat has been there for too long. He's left germs and poisons and toxins and guana and all kinds of stuff. That thing is out of here. I, I didn't know what to do. And so I finally decided I'm going to call a bat exterminator. I looked through it, found, found one. Um, they're 300 bucks to come out. And I'm like, oh, my God but I'm, I'll pay it. I'll pay a thousand bucks. I'll pay whatever. So I call them up and they're like, well, I don't know. You know, you send me a photo of it. And I sent the photo and he's, yep, that's, that's a bat. And <laughs> so they're like, like, when can you be out here? I need this bat gone, like right now. And he's like, well, we have a guy in Coeur d'Alene. I can adjust his schedule. He'll come over and take care of it right away. And so I said, okay, bring him over. And so he starts coming over from Coeur d'Alene. And Nate, Nate, in the meantime, uh, had heard, wanted to see the bat before the bat exterminator did whatever he does to him. And so uh, he, he comes over, and I, of course, have the drapes closed because we just can't look at it. We're just sickened by it. And so Nate opens up the drapes, and there's the bat. And he stares at it, and he opens up the door, and he goes around to where the bat is, and he, like, grabbed the bat. <laughs> and he brought it inside the house. <laughs> Tisa and I are like hiding behind the couch, checking it out. And he's like, Dad, you have been totally punked. This is a fake bat. I'm like, you got to be kidding. He's like, oh, yeah, this is not real. Look, there's these little hooks on the side here and stuff. I'm like, who would do such a thing to their pastor, you know? And then I thought, of two former friends, Mike and Lou Jensen. <laughs> They're still friends. <laughs> they are the ones who had done it. And when I called them and tried to get them to fess up, you know, just throw it out there and see if they would fess up, when they heard all the things we had done, they're like, we're not saying we did that. <laughs> Took them like weeks to fess up. You see what fear does to a person? It takes away any resemblance of a sound mind. It puts it to the side. You know, it, it takes whatever amount of power you think you have in life, and it weakens you, and it dilutes you. And there ain't no love to be found, okay? <laughs> what happens with fear is because they're based, these kind of unrealistic fears are based on false perceptions. They lead, obviously, to false or to inappropriate behaviors that end up hurting our lives or hurting other people. We're going to talk today about the fear of rejection. And this is one of those fears that controls a lot of us. We don't, maybe you haven't thought of it in these terms, but the fear of rejection is that, that need for approval, that need for people to like me, respect me, honor me, for people. And so we go out of our way to try and please people in order to earn that or garner that. And I have to be 
honest, I have dealt with a lot of that. People pleasing, kind of overly concerned about what other people think. I mean, I'm a middle child. That doesn't help, right? If you're a middle child, any middle children here, you know your name, but your par- you're not sure if your parents do. Because <laughs> when you're in the middle, you just kind of can get forgotten. And, and, and as a middle child, you're normally given more towards trying to be a peacemaker, trying to be a people pleaser. So that's going against me. And then my personality, I'm if in the DISC profile, which is the uniquely you profile that many of you have taken, the DISC, and I'm, a, I'm a, an SD. And an S, one of the kind of downsides of that particular personality is you can try to, you're collaborative, but you can also try to please people too much. And then, of course, growing up, I mean, I lived in a really competitive family with a bunch of rowdy brothers, and so we we're always being pitted against each other, who could jump further and who could, who could swim faster, who could do all these things, and I normally would come up last. And so, you know, I was always trying to earn the approval of my dad. So I have all these things going. Of course, the ministry doesn't make it any easier. I have to be on guard to that as well because I can care too much what people think. And that can be debilitating. Scripture shows us the danger of living by the fear of rejection. In Proverbs 29, verse 25, here's what it says. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The fear of Man, the fear of people, the fear of, of people not liking me, that fear, the fear of rejection, is a snare. It's a trap. It will grip you and hold you and hold you back in life. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Why do so many of us fall into this fear of rejection, the snare, this trap? Why? Well, because many of us are starved for acceptance. I mean, we're overly starved. And the sad thing is, is that when we're, when we're overly starved for acceptance, the very thing that we desire the most is the first thing we lose. We become so needy and so hungry for acceptance that we lose the very thing that we desire. You see it in the life of King Saul. In the Old Testament, there's this guy, King Saul. Many of you know him. And King Saul was destined to be a great leader. God had chosen him. God had anointed him. And yet, as you look and unpack his story, you'll find that he struggled with this fear of rejection of people. Often, he would be wondering, what will people do? What will people think? How will people perceive me as a king? Are they going to like me? And at one point, because of fear, he disobeyed God. He disobeyed him in a way that the prophet Samuel had to come and rebuke him. The prophet Samuel came and said, why didn't you do what God clearly told you to do? Why? And look at what he said in 1 Samuel 15, 24. He said, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command. And why? Why did he do it? He said, because I was afraid of the people. So I gave in to them. I gave in to them. Have you ever done that? Just given in to people because you were afraid of what they would think of you. I mean, I think most of us have done that. But it grieved the heart of God. Because instead of pleasing God, instead of obeying God, Saul, this chosen leader, chose to pander to the people. He chose to 
to garner people's approval rather than do what God asked him to do. And what happened? He lost his stature before people. The very thing he wanted so badly, the very thing he was striving so hard to get and protect was the very thing and the very first thing that he lost. The sad thing is so many people today live with this fear of man. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, a trap in your life. So many people today, I mean, they want sexual purity. And of course, P4 is going to talk more about that. And then they, 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 they think, man, I want to wait until I'm married to give myself to my spouse or someone. And then they end up losing their virginity. Why? Because they give their body away, often because they want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want to be liked. And so they end up going to bed and then maybe from bed to bed seeking approval. Please love me. Pretending like sex equals love when outside of marriage, the furthest thing from real spiritual and physical intimacy is just having sex. People spend hours on their body, right? Buying the right clothes, primping their hair, their image, earning the right achievements, having the right title, buying the right car, living in the right neighborhood, joining the right club, that that if I have those things, then this world will look up to me. People will like me. People will want to be around me. Often we compromise integrity and don't do what we know is important. We know the right thing, but we go the opposite way. Why? Because we want to be approved by others. So many people live their parents' dream. You know, I got to please mom. I got to keep dad happy. Even after parents die sometimes, I know people who are still trying to do things in their life to live up to their parents' expectations. And these It happens all of the time. Maybe a girl or a guy, you know, ends up settling for something far less, marrying somebody who's not a Christian. You're a Christian, and you end up marrying someone who's not, and you just take the shortcut approach to it because you're just so desperate to be loved and be, be liked and be accepted. Fear of man, it proves to be a trap. It proves to be a snare because we want to be accepted. Maybe you've met that person or maybe even been that person. You want friends so bad that you finally get one and then you begin to become like a human vacuum cleaner, just sucking the life out of the relationship until they can't stand you and they don't want to be around you anymore. We go, why? Why? I don't get it. Why don't you like me? The fear of rejection causes us to lose the very thing that we seek. And it causes us to live powerless, relationally empty watered-down lives where it gives room for the enemy to come in and silence your voice, silence the voice of your life. The fear of rejection gets in the way of us sharing our faith about Jesus. That very thing happened in the Scripture. If you read, there were some believers who had faith in Jesus, and it says in John 12, 42, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith. Why? Why? What's the big deal with the Pharisees? Well, for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved what? What did they love? They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Isn't that sad? They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's that's a picture of what the fear of rejection does in a person's life. It's a trap. It's a snare. It ends up hurting us. So how do we deal with that trap? How do we... Loosen that snare. Well, here's what the scripture says. Say yes to God. Say yes to pleasing God and no to pleasing man. 
More than anything else, one of the things we talk about around here is saying yes to God. It's one of those mottos that we say, and saying yes to God, saying yes to pleasing God. I love the story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 22 of the king Jehoshaphat. He was the king of Judah, and he was having a conversation one day with the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said, hey, why don't you join me, and let's join forces to go to war and get back what belongs to us? And Jehoshaphat responded this way in verse 5. He said to the king of Israel, first, we will seek the counsel of the Lord. Don't you love that kind of a leader, that type of a mom or dad, that type of a, of a coach, that type of a person who says, you know, we're going to seek God first. We're not going to look to all of our advisors. We're not going to poll the people. We're going to ask God, novel thought, what he thinks. And we're going to make our decisions based on that. Not what will my parents think, what will my friends think, what will my teacher think, what will my business partner think. What? No, what does God think? That's the most important thing, isn't it? To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then trust that all these other things that we want will be added into our life. One of the greatest evangelists um, of our modern history, G. Campbell Morgan, uh, in 1888, he was standing with two of his other classmates, three guys standing in front of three older men who were going to judge them based on their preaching ability to see whether or not they had a call to preach. And so they preached their hearts out. Well, afterwards, they printed a list and put it up. One was accepted, the other was rejected. And so... G. Campbell Morgan goes over to uh, the roster and he looks on the accepted list and he doesn't see his name. Then he looks on the rejected list and there's his name. Well, of course, he was dejected. He wrote back home, sent a telegram to his dad and his dad knew exactly what he meant because he sent one word. It said rejected. His dad sent him a telegram back and G. Campbell Morgan said that when he received it, it changed the rest of his life because the, temp, the telegram simply read, rejected by men, accepted by God. You're going to be rejected by people. There will be people who do not agree with you. There will be people who don't like the idea of you. There will be people who don't put you on their accepted list. But that happened to Jesus. Isaiah 53 says it was prophesied of Jesus that he would be despised and rejected by men. And if we're to become like Jesus, we should just expect we're going to have to deal with some rejection. We're going to have to deal with some people who don't like the idea of us. We're going to deal with some people who do not agree. And our first desire, though, if it's to please God, if it's, if it's to see who we are in Christ then we'll be able to deal with that rejection effectively. So we say yes to God, and we say no to pleasing men. That's not permission to go out and be rude to people. It's, it's just that our heart's desire is first and foremost to say, what does God want? What does God think? How does God view the situation? Who does God say I am? And then we base our decisions off of that, not on what the opinions of people are. Saying no to being a people pleaser means that when your friends ask you to go do something that you know better and it's not according to who you are or your beliefs, then you say, I'm not going with you. I'll see you tomorrow. 
Or when someone at work cracks a really inappropriate racial joke, instead of laughing in order to be accepted, you look at them and say, you know, that actually wasn't funny. Or when your kid needs discipline, instead of wanting to be their friend so bad, you never, you never sit down and have the talks or do the things that need to be done as a parent because you want to be their friend so bad. They have friends. They need a parent. You step up and you be the parent. And yeah, they might hate you for a little while, but they'll love you in the long run. See, where our love for God is best shown is in our obedience to God. And so the passage that we read at the very beginning that says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. How does he give you power? Because when you obey God and you do what God wants and you you say yes to God, God infuses you with spiritual power to live life. He gives you something that you won't have. You will not have access to the power of God in the measure you need if you constantly cave to what people want in your life instead of obeying God. Obeying God unleashes the power of God in your life. It also provides love, love for God, because, of course, obedience is love to God. But it also love that God's given you power, love, and a sound mind, that God has given you love for people, because pandering to people and doing the expedient thing is most of the time not the right thing. It's not really a loving response to that person. The loving response is seeing what God sees in the potential of a person and, and, and calling them to that potential. Loving people means sometimes you have to have confrontations. You have to resolve conflict in a biblical way. You have to quit running from conflict and running sometimes into the place where God can deepen the relationship with true intimacy. He who trusts in the Lord, he will be kept safe. I love that. The apostle Paul asked this really telling question. He asked it of himself, and all of us should ask the same question right now in Galatians 1.10. Sometimes we just have to ask this question. Here's what he said. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Ask yourself that. Am I living for the approval of people? Because if I am, I cannot be a servant of Christ. It's kind of like money. You know, you can't serve both money and God. You have to choose one. You can't serve two masters. You can't both say yes to God and please God and try and approve earn the approval of everybody around you at the same time. Just can't be done. So if we're we're living for the praise of people, the approval of men, we cannot be servants of Christ. Why? Because fear of man is a trap. It's a snare. But when we we honor God, it's, it's safe. See, our goal in all of this is just to live our lives before an audience of one. To live our lives before God. That's what Jesus did. Remember Jesus said, um, if it was by myself, I can do nothing, but I, I live to please the one who sent me. Jesus knew who he was living for. He knew who he was. God wants you to know, and he wants me to know who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. You see, God thinks of you differently than maybe this world thinks of you. God probably thinks of you differently than you think of yourself. Because when God sees you, he sees somebody who is perfect. 
made in his image. Somebody that is lovable. Somebody that's acceptable. When he looks at you, he sees somebody that is more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And he loves you. And he wants to free you from trying to earn the approval of others. You see, when you live your life before an audience of one, it doesn't matter whether other people think you're good enough. It doesn't even matter if you think you're good enough. Because God says that even in your weakness, his strength can shine through you. God says that you're blessed. You're blessed and you're going out and you're coming in. God says that he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God says you're an overcomer. Why? Because you overcome by the blood of the shed blood of Christ and by the word of your testimony. God has placed a story in you. You have a story to tell. Don't let the enemy silence you because you want to live up to the, uh, to the approval of other people who may look down on your faith story. God has invested in you. You don't need some weird criminal background or drug addict story. You don't. God has placed his grace in you. He's saved you. He's loved you. He's redeemed you. You live forever in eternity with him. You have something to tell others. And quit discounting it. And quit allowing the enemy to keep you mute that your story is impotent when it's powerful. And God wants to unleash you with boldness to live your life boldly and to proclaim his story boldly in you and through you. Why? Because you're called. You've been empowered. You're equipped. You matter to God. You're on a mission. He has an assignment for you. The fear of men, it's a trap. It's a snare. But he who trusts in God will be kept safe. See, God wants us to learn who we are in him. And then when I feel afraid, when I, when I feel that sense of, of, of what other people think, I have to go to God and I have to stop in that moment. And I have to remind myself of what the scripture says. And I have to remind myself who I am in him. And that I will play my drum for nobody but him. And I will not live my life out to please people because in the end it's a trap. But if I'll honor God, there'll be safety in that. And so you speak the truth to yourself. You proclaim what God says about you to yourself. It doesn't matter whether your, your parents fully accept you or your friends fully accept you, your teachers or your boss or anybody else. What matters is that you know God accepts you and he knows you and he loves you and he calls you to something bigger than yourself. Let's not live under the fear of rejection. Let's live as children of God who have been freed from that. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I just want to close with these words that come from the song, um, Whom Shall I Fear? It's written by Chris Tomlin. And he, it says this, the chorus says, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angels, angel armies, is always on my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? See, if God is for you, and who can be against you? And it really comes down to whose glory are you living for? If you're living for the glory of God, you will find your security, your identity in him. 
And that will keep you safe, and that will ground you in his love and cause the boldness to rise up in our lives to live our lives for his glory. Will you bow your head with me as we pray? Lord God, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd be at work right now in our hearts. And I'm just going to ask you, just would you take a moment and just pray, just talk to God, be honest before him. Are you someone trying to please people more than trying to please God? Are you an approval addict? Have you been silenced in some area of expression, of thought, maybe even in your worship? Because you're afraid of what others might look and see and the conclusions they would come to. And would you turn your back on that today? That's called repentance. And turn to God and say, God, I'm going to start living for your glory. I'm going to start living to please you. I don't care anymore about what others think about me. I don't even know if they think it. I just think they think it. And Lord, I, I'm just, that's a trap. That's a snare. And I'm going to just start living to your glory, making decisions that would please you. I'm going to open my mouth when you prompt me to, and I'm going to share the story that you've placed within me. that's you, you prayed that with me, just say yes to God right now. I'm saying yes to you, God. I'm saying yes to living for you, even if it means being rejected by others. I'm going to live for your glory. And I know that as I do, God, you will keep me safe. You will chart out my future. You will provide my needs. You will provide friendship. You will provide love. You will provide security and identity. You will provide all of the things that I can so easily clamor after trying to get on my own. You will provide it, Lord. And I receive it today by faith. And I ask that you forgive me, God, for wanting to please people more than you. And I'm asking that you empower me now by, the, by your Holy Spirit to give me power to live that life. Give me love for people and love for you. And a sound mind that I make decisions that honor you clear thinking. Maybe you're here today and you need to step across the line of faith and invite Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into your life. Because that's where a relationship with God starts, is with Jesus. And if that's you and you're ready to do that, I want to pray with you and ask that you pray along with me. Jesus, come into my life. Lord, I know I've, I'm here for a reason. You're speaking to me today, and I, I want to know you. I'm asking that you forgive me, God, for going my own way, doing my own thing, and now I want to live my life where you are at the center. So fill me, Holy Spirit, and help me now walk out of this place a whole new direction where I'm living life to please you, to say yes to you. 
thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for your presence with us today. We honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.